Thanks for listening to this Ave Maria radio podcast. Be sure to share it with your friends and family and across social media. Building the church so we can bless the nations. This is Ave Maria radio. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Two interesting, at least two interesting anniversaries. The election of Pope Leo XIII in 1878, and also the publication of the Communist Manifesto in 1841. And what's interesting is that Leo XIII, in his encyclical, Rerum Novarum, uh, he is actually fighting back against the influence that the Communist Manifesto was received, was uh, generating in the 19th century. So Rerum Novarum, which is his probably best-known encyclical, is the watershed moment in Catholic history that begins we, what we call the modern encyclical tradition. The modern papal encyclical tradition begins in 1891, May 15th of 1891, with Leo XIII's publication of Rerum Novarum. Uh, Leo, by the way, is one of the—he's he, one of the greats as well, in the sense of he had the, sec, uh, the third longest papacy. He was actually the oldest uh, to be pope. I think he, uh, 93 is when he—93 years old is when he died, and that was in 1903. His predecessor, Pius IX, actually has the longest pontificate in history. The second longest is John Paul II. So you can see uh, we've had some— uh, pontificates over the last you know, 200 years, which have been uh, just outstanding. And Leo XIII was brilliant, like John Paul II, and he did publish a number of very influential encyclicals. I just want to talk to you about one of them today, and that is Rerum Novarum. It's sometimes called On the Condition of Labor, and it was published in 1891. This was published in order to deal with what was called the social question of the time. The social question had to do with the condition of workers. The Industrial Revolution had pretty much abolished the older worker workers' guilds that had given workers some protection. They were kind of um, primitive forms of unions. And when, the, when they were uh, wiped away by the Industrial Revolution, Workers were left vulnerable. Uh, working conditions, uh, the uh, safe were they safe or not? Uh, employ, uh, unemployment was huge. Uh, there were all kinds of uh, long work days, and the communists or the socialists—that was primarily what they were called then. The socialists of that day were claiming that government ownership of the means of production was the way to protect the workers. Well, Leo XIII knew better, and in 1891, he published Rerum Novarum to explicitly address this question of the workers. So let me tell you a little bit about Rerum Novarum, uh, which I think is probably the most famous encyclical of uh, Leo XIII. But he starts it out not with abstract moral principles, he starts out Rerum Novarum with a look at the signs of the times. Uh, so he, he refers to the vast, at the very beginning, paragraphs one, two, three, 
He talks about the vast expansion of industrial pursuits. He talks about the marvelous discoveries of science. He talks about the changed relations between masters and workmen. He points out that enormous fortunes have been accumulated by a few individuals, but there's been utter poverty for the masses. He talks about increased self-reliance, but also closer mutual uh, work between the working classes and the employers. He does refer to a prevailing moral degeneracy of the period as well. And he says, the momentous gravity of the state of things. Now obtaining, the momentous gravity of the state of things now obtaining, fills every mind with painful apprehension. Wise men are discussing it, practical men are proposing schemes, popular meetings, legislatures, and rulers or nations are all busied with it. Uh, and then he says, there is no question which has taken a deeper hold on the public mind. Again, it was called the social question, and what it was about was the condition of the working classes. No question has taken a deeper hold on the public mind. This is 1891, and again, for the 50 years before that, the Communist Manifesto had been making the rounds and generating a lot of speculation on how to help workers. So Leo XIII weighs in. He says, therefore, because of all these uh, changing conditions, I'm stepping in. And uh, on former occasions, it seemed opportune for me to refute false teaching. And I've addressed you in the interests of the church and of the common good. And I've issued letters on political power. I've issued letters on human liberty. I've issued letters on the Christian constitution of the state. And now I think it's expedient to speak to you on the condition of the working classes. So he's talking about the workers, the proletariat, the, the, the laborer. And he's also aware that it's a, not an easy thing to do. He makes that explicit, too. The discussion is not easy, nor is it void of danger. It is no easy matter to define the relative rights and mutual duties of the rich and of the poor, of capital and of labor. And the danger lies in this that crafty agitators are intent on making use of these differences of opinion to pervert men's judgments and to stir up the people to revolt. But he can't just stand by. So he says, this is, I have an opportune, I want to find an opportune remedy. I want to find it quickly for the misery and wretchedness pressing so unjustly on the majority of the working classes. Uh, and there are two reasons why this is happening that he quickly points to. He says the ancient working men's guilds were abolished in the last century and no other protective organization took their place. So the workers are vulnerable. And to make it worse, he said, the church has been displaced in its influence. So, quote, public institutions and the laws have set aside the ancient faith. So, he wants to prescribe uh, a teaching which can help protect the working classes. So the first thing he does, the first thing he does is he rejects socialism. So when you get to paragraph five of Rerum Novarum, and for the next 11 paragraphs, he is talking about the natural right to private property. He just he rejects out of hand socialist proposals. Socialists want to abolish private property. And Leo says, look, if you abolish private property, it, 
it's counterproductive because the working class would be the first to suffer. You know, you're going to end up robbing them of the little property they own. And you're going to deprive them of the opportunity for savings, for thrift. And uh, he gives actually three arguments, big arguments, for why private property uh, is fundamental to humankind. He says, one, the abolition of private property would undermine the ability of workers to attain temporal prosperity. They couldn't get security. They couldn't better their conditions. Uh, Right now, even though they don't own a lot of property, they can, through frugal consumption, patient saving, and modest investment, uh, continue to better themselves. You take away their property, they can't better themselves. They're then dependent upon the state. He had another argument about private property. He said, moreover, the, uh, the abolition of private property will violate the natural right to private property. You say, well, what, what, he says the natural law uh, really dictates that private property is an extension of basic human nature. Um, human beings, uh, let me quote here, the right to private property is implied in the fact that human beings attain their natural ends not only by using whatever goods are immediately at hand, like the animals, but they also hold external goods in stable and permanent possession. So, and this is actually an argument from uh, St. Thomas Aquinas in the Summa. He's saying that one of the ways we know that private property uh, is basic to human nature is because they don't just use what they need at hand. They don't just stuff their face with food like the animals. They take food, they can it, they shelve it, they save up for the next season. And that itself is is vital for their own survival. So owning that property, having control over those goods, uh, is necessary for human well-being. He comes up with a number of other arguments, too, about the right to private property. I won't go over them now, but... uh, that's his very first argument, though. It, it, the very beginning, of he looks at the signs of the times in the first four paragraphs of Rerum Novarum, and then immediately he jumps into saying that the socialist scheme of abolishing private property is counterproductive and it's going to hurt the workers uh, as much as anybody. Then he goes off into the next section. He's, he's defended the natural rights to own private property. Now he looks at the mutual duties and rights of both capital and labor. So he says, look, workers have duties. They have to perform the labor that they've agreed to. Um, they, ha- they are not to injure uh, the property. Uh, they're hired to work on something. They should be uh, not injuring it. They should not be uh, confounding or uh, you know, aggravating their employers. They should never use violence to gain their ends. They shouldn't be associating with men of evil principles. The duty of, wor- of employers, they have duties too, and they all come down to one basic thing, that they are not to look upon their workers as their slaves, but they're to respect every man in his dignity as a person ennobled by Christian character. And then a, because of that, a list of things flow. Workers are to be given time to exercise their religious duties. Uh, Workers are not to be exposed to corruption or danger. 
Workers are not to neglect home and family. Uh, again, he's speaking to employers here. Uh, they are not to, uh, you're not to set up a way for them to squander their earnings. So, for instance, the company store is not supposed to be overcharging and, and uh, helping uh, or kind of forcing workers to squander their earnings. Um, you're not supposed to be giving them work that's beyond their strength or age. You are to pay them a just wage. And you're not to deprive them of earning by using fraud or usury or force. So this, this idea of forcing them to pay a just wage, actually, you would think it's basic. But it was a development in, um, in social thought. It was picked up later by John Ryan in the United States with his famous 1906 book, A Living Wage. But those are some of the emphases of Rerum Novarum. Uh, he also talks about the social role of the church, the social role of the state, and uh, the development of workers' associations of unions.